welcome to the Trade Mastermind podcast. This is the Trade Secrets series. I'll be your host, Joseph Valente, and this is the number one podcast for the trade and construction industry. We are the secret to starting, scaling, and growing your trade or construction business. Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Trade Mastermind podcast. I am your host, Joseph Valente, and today we've got an incredible guest that I'm super excited to talk to. And um, I'm just going to do a little introduction because I think um, uh, it's needed. Kevin Byrne is the guest today, and he was the founder of Checker Trade. This company was founded in 1988. Checker Trade revolutionized the way that the construction industry won business. The checker trade business generated for construction and trade businesses more than 3.5 billion a year in revenue from more than 19,000 companies. And Kevin's company employed more than 230 people. Kevin is also a marathon runner and he's run 12 marathons in 12 months, which I'm interested to speak about. Absolutely incredible. Must be super fit. And um, what an incredible achievement. Kevin has also been an Olympic torchbearer, which Kevin says is one of his proudest moments. So absolutely amazing and fantastic. Multiple award um, winner in business, investor, entrepreneur, philanthropist. Kevin Byrne, it's fantastic to have you here today. Well, that, what a great in, in, uh, introduction, Joseph. Yeah, yeah. I look back and I think, have I got more to come? Flipping hope so. Yeah. <laughs> well, you seem like a man that's not slowing down anytime soon, Kevin. Uh, no, no. Um, I'm probably as busy as I always have been, for sure. Yeah. And, uh, you, you know, I, I'm learning to say no. <laughs> I'm learning Amazing. to say no because there's only so many hours in a day. So uh you think that's one of the hardest things for a business owner or to actually say no. I mean, tradespeople at the time, they they don't know um which work to say no to a lot of the time, actually. It's very easy to say no to quite a lot, but but when you yeah. get presented, you know, now I've sold my business and I've got some kind of reputation. Uh and people know I'm an investor. Everybody wanna everybody wants to pitch to me. Yeah. And it's very easy to say no to silly ideas and, and certain concepts uh, and certain worth ethics of certain people that approach me. But I do get an awful lot of really good stuff put in front of me. Really good stuff. Well, you, you just think, wow, this is incredible. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Those ones are harder to and say. What an no awesome to. position to be in, you know, to be able to be in a position where you can now invest in businesses and entrepreneurs and startups and growing companies. Is that something that really excites you? It does. Yeah. You know, for, for me, it, it's never been about the money. It's been about the success. Yeah. Uh, and success and money are two different things, in my view. And to be part of something or to or to have some kind of contribution to something which does a lot of good for a lot of people, um, it, it floats my boat. Uh, and, and invariably what I found was with Checker Trade, I never, ever, ever, ever dreamed that this was going to make me a wealthy guy. It yeah. was always it was always about solving a problem. And what and what I've learned is that if the bigger the problem you can solve for someone, the more money you'll make. Incredible. And, you know, I think um, a lot of successful, very successful people, you know, they always say the same. It's not about the money. The money's the byproduct of the, the yeah, success. Of course, is. we love the money, but if your mission, if your mission is more than just about making money, the money will come hand in hand. Yeah, yeah. Um, and solving problems. You know, creating solutions for problems yeah. is what good business people and entrepreneurs do. Would you agree? Absolutely. Yeah. Create value, solve problems, and touch as many people with that as you possibly can. Fantastic. Now, Kevin, let's go back to the beginning because, you know, um, I think your story is incredibly inspiring. I used Check the Trade when I was a um, um, growing business, when I had my plumbing business. Fantastic for tradespeople to win work and new opportunities. What caused you to start Check the Trade? Because it really has revolutionized um, the construction industry. So what was the origin story? Wow. I'll try and condense it as much as I can. But there's a few things I'd like to say prior to even that point. Yeah, there are a lot. There are a lot of people that think 
I'm not bright enough. I, I, I haven't I haven't got the education. I've got no O levels, no A levels. Uh, and that's all that's all rubbish. Hey, if, if you want to become a doctor mm-hmm. or a solicitor, you're going to have to have all the qualifications. But if you want to be an entrepreneur, you don't need nothing. Mm-hmm. Completely agree. <laughs> as far as as far as, which is just as well. Because I, I I was brought up in the forces. My dad was in the RAF, and we went from from um, country to country to country. I, I don't know how many schools I went to, and my education was really disrupted. And when I left school at sixteen, uh, I was good at art and I was good at technical drawing, but I didn't have anything else. No yeah. qualifications. I couldn't go to secondary education. I couldn't go to college. I had no choice but to get a job. Yeah. Uh, um, and because my, my um, because my life was so, so much going from one school to another school to another school to another school at the age of 16, I, I was hiding behind my mum, literally. Yeah. You know, the thought the thought of doing a podcast or standing in front of people with a microphone. Good grief. That wasn't going to happen. Um, so, you know, I, I, I was very, very. Uh, introverted at that age very introverted so and I I basically just bumped along the bottom of life I always worked hard and I always wanted to do well but I had a really low self-esteem I didn't really think much of myself and I suppose Um, it must have been hard moving from school to school never really establishing a friend base um, getting to know the systems and but it was difficult right well you get to a point where you just think well what's the point of making a friend yeah, uh, sad, in, really. in six months, I'm in another school. Yeah. yeah. But uh, when I when I did when I did leave school, I, I went into the lipho print, sorry, the newspaper print industry. And I worked yeah. in the art room for a newspaper. From there, I went to London for a couple of years. I've got an older brother and I worked for him as a graphic designer. Nice. Uh, and then I came back down south on the south coast. And I and I worked for a company for 12 long years in a lipo printers in the art room so during those years I often think did I waste all that time working for one company for 12 years but but today I look back and I think you know what I I I learned huge amounts of what it was to be employed Mm -hmm. and the good things about my boss and the bad things about my boss but I'm pleased to say there was more good things than than bad things they they were a really good really good company to to work for but um when my when my kids started to arrive, and this is the start of checker trade now, yeah. when my kids started to arrive, my wife said to me, "Look at the state of these carpets," and we're bringing a baby into this house. Yeah. And I didn't have a, I didn't have a bean to rub together. I was really really living on on the edge for mm-hmm. sure. And I thought, well, I ain't got, I haven't got the money to get these carpets cleaned. Yeah. So I so I went to my mum. I borrowed 250 quid off her and I and I bought a, a carpet cleaning machine and I started a company called Grimebusters. Beautiful. And um, I started to clean to clean carpets. And you know, I got through family and friends and et cetera, et cetera. And I'm thinking, well, where do I get my work from? So I thought, well, look, there's yellow pages, can't afford that. There's Thompson's, I can't afford that. There's local newspapers, can't afford that. Uh oh. I suppose I could do a leaflet. Yeah. So I went to two or three friends who are plumbers, builders, electricians, et cetera. And I said, and I said to them, um, why don't we do a leaflet? Cause I'm, I'm from the print industry. I can do that. Yeah. We'll get printed. I'll, I'll deliver a hundred round my street. You go and deliver a hundred round your street and we'll see if it generates any work. Yeah. That leaflet instantly became a book. Wow. And and today everybody has these little A5 books that come through their doors with tradesmen in, local tradesmen. Yeah. I, was rec- I reckon I was the first in the UK to do that. Fantastic. Uh, but I but I didn't have the whereabouts in me to go, yeah. wow, that worked. <laughs> Did you go- think because of coming from the print industry, um, you understood marketing more than the average tradesman? Um, you know, because a lot of tradespeople, they start a business, you know, they get a business card and they just expect the work to come and they don't really have a strategy on winning business. So you're already kind of, um, you know, a level above with you actually had an advertising certainly, strategy. Certainly having the skills to do my own artwork 
and in particularly working for a newspaper where you're doing display adverts nice you begin to understand that that advert will work and that one won't yep so you you're dead right i had an advantage in that area anyway i i produced the book and it got delivered and i was doing that every year we only put the book out once a year and that paid for my christmas and paid some tax bills and and, nice. and a few other bits and bobs but I and still then did you start charging the other trades people for advertising space yeah 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 yeah, yeah incredible <laughs> brilliant it was, it was hard work when you're doing yeah. display adverts everybody wants to dis everyone wants to change the display advert each year and yeah. you pick new logo and new text and and that that used to be quite yeah. time consuming i learned that Anyway, um, I'm bouncing along the bottom of life. I'm doing the local business directory, which is what I called it once a year. I'm cleaning carpets still. I'm selling insurance. I'm working behind bars. I'm just about keeping my head above water. Mm -hmm. uh, and I haven't got a full-time job now. Um, I'm, I'm doing, I'm trying to maintain myself as my own boss and yeah. only just surviving. And then in 1998, a tornado went through my hometown, which is Selsey in West Sussex. Yeah. And it, 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 it wasn't the great storm of 87 that people remember. It was a really isolated tornado that yep. just hit Selsey. Came down, 400 metres of damage, and then lifted. Caused 10, 10 million pounds worth of damage. Everything from half a house gone to four or five tiles off a roof everything in between and that because it was so rare it was on the nine o'clock news on the bbc it was on the 10 o'clock news on itv and white vans started to appear in Chelsea, hundreds of them and where people have been victims of the weather these people were now being victims of rogue trades right and before my dad died, he was in the forces, but when he left the forces, he was a trading standards officer. Yeah. And he tell me tales about road trades, et cetera, et cetera. And I didn't really take much notice of him. Um, but it became very obvious to me at that point that, man, I, I can go into a, a supermarket and walk out with a bottle of wine unpaid and I'll get arrested. But I can go into someone's house, take a heap load of cash off them, do a crap job or not any job at all <laughs> and get away with it. Yeah. I can't be right. I can't be right, can it? And I was hearing all of these stories in Chelsea from local people about how they'd been ripped off by these tradesmen. So uh, it wasn't a light bulb moment for me. It wasn't. But I thought, I wonder if I could take my local business directory yeah. and bring some form of accountability to it. Yeah, that, that, that's the only thing that was in my head. So I started to phone a few trade and I started to phone some of the guilds and the federations mm -hmm. and trying to find out, was there an answer out there to the road trade problem? Yeah, I can only recall one of the roofing federations. There was two at the time. I don't know how many there are now, but it was two at the time. And one of them had three or four things in place, but no one else did. I yeah. can even remember there was a there was a program on the BBC called Brast Off Britain. Mm -hmm. and, and it was about how things were just not right in the UK. And they were looking at the Federation of Master Builders. And they managed to get an eight year old girl and a hamster. And a hamster <laughs> to join the Federation of Master Builders. Yeah. Unbelievable. How random. Hey, I've got no idea whether they're whether they've got whether they're still in existence now. I yeah. don't know, um, but I don't know. This can't be right. So my initial my initial idea was called the telephone box. Yeah, and it was going to be one plumber, one electrician, one builder, one roofer, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, um, in a in a you know very simple format. Yep. get that printed and put it into people's homes and basically say these are tradesmen that have been recommended by people that have already yep. used them nice and i would be asking the tradesmen because this was pre-internet i'd be saying to them i want to see your insurance your qualifications yep. and letters from happy customers yeah which i'd follow up with a phone call i'd phone the customers up um and that really was the start. Mm -hmm. uh, and I didn't call it the telephone box. That went to one side. I called it Scout. 
with the, with that being a, uh, a verb, which means we've gone out and we've scouted and found the best trades. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, so at the, the time then there was no competition in what you found, so you decided to just get started. Yeah. Yeah. There were Thompsons and Yellow Pages and newspapers. That was it. Yeah. But nothing yeah. that was verifying tradesmen. Nothing. The rest of the Only... platforms were just advertising them, but they weren't an advertising advertising plus verifying, right? Indeed. So yeah. when did yeah. when did it become checker trade then? When did it evolve into checker trade? Oh wow. Well, from Scout, we had the Scout Association on our backs saying you can't yeah. use that. That's off. So we <laughs> we changed it to Scouted Out. Yeah. And that. That didn't stop the Scout Association. They still had barristers on top of me. So I changed it to the trade register. Yeah. And this is all in the space of 12 months. So I'm now yeah. the trade register. Um, and and um, I was really impressed with a marketing guy up in London. And I, and I showed him what I was doing. And he said, Kev, that's phenomenal. Can I be involved? Mm -hmm. nice. So him, him, more his wife got involved. And, and she is still the best telesales lady I've ever come across. She was just incredible. Yeah. Um, and we're building and I'm making so many mistakes. I didn't know what VAT was. I didn't know what cash and accrual was. Um, my accounting skills were zero. And I didn't believe this or not, Joseph, I didn't even know I had to pay my employee, the people that were working for me, tax. <laughs> <laughs> There was nothing up there at all. No one yeah. they don't teach you that in school. No. I was just, I was so ignorant. I was saying, yeah, come and work for me. I'll pay you X men. I was just giving them money. So yeah. what, what, what about tax and pensions? What? What's all that? Just but you're not crazy. alone there, Kevin. I mean, how many people start a business because they've either had an idea or they were really good at the profession and they start that business without um, actually having any business acumen? And that's why we started the trade mastermind because we saw that so many tradespeople, you know, are plumbers running plumbing businesses. They have no business knowledge. And so, you know, I'm, I'm sure many people listening to this podcast can relate. And then, so what did you do about it? Did you start to learn about business? Did you educate oh, yourself? You, you learn the hard way, don't you? I, I mean, when we were finally, um, when we were finally aware of VAT, um, we decided to go for cash. Yeah. Which, as you as you already mentioned, for those that don't know, when you do VAT on a cash basis, you only give HMRC uh, the VAT you've been paid. Yeah. Once you hit a certain turnover threshold, you have to go to accrual. Yeah. You've got no option, and I yep. and I didn't I didn't know that. So suddenly we've hit this threshold. And the VAT man's coming to me saying, you owe me £120,000 of VAT. And I'm going, but well, I haven't been paid it. Yeah. Well, that, that's, that's not our problem. <laughs> yeah. You owe us grand of VAT. So that's not and your standard get to 85K turnover and you have to become VAT registered. This is a uh, subscription accrual model that you have to account for future VAT and pay it before you've got it. Accrual... Uh, VAT. The government are smart, right? Literally, they're making you pay VAT you haven't even got yet. I mean, what what planet do we actually live on? What chances have businesses got to survive when they haven't even been paid yet? They got to pay VAT. It's impossible. Yeah. So for us as a subscription business, we were asking people to pay for twelve months, and they were paying us every month for twelve months. Yeah. And yet, I've got to give the VAT man all the VAT on that entire invoice at the beginning. Criminal. Oh, unbelievable. Criminal. Yeah, it is. It's criminal. Yeah. yeah. But um, what business can back... survive on that? It's insane. No good. Well, you've got to have a good accountant. Yeah. Yeah. Have a good yep. accountant. But but to come back to the story, um, I'm now I'm now in business with this with this couple up in London and I and I still got an awful lot of respect for them. But I, I came up with the idea of say uh, of, do you know, why? I'm asking these trades before they join for letters of recommendations. Wouldn't it be fantastic if I could get constant feedback on every job they did? Yeah. Feedback. So I went to the internet, of course, to see who's doing it. Mm -hmm. No one. <laughs> no one. Google yep. didn't exist. TripAdvisor didn't exist. No one was doing it. So uh, I started to do it. 
and I went I went to my then business partners and I and I said look I think we should be monitoring the trades yeah and I you know I'll, I'll never forget it Kev no one will ever want to be monitored it's the wrong decision don't do it and I, I just thought no no I just, this is the way forward this is the way forward and and sadly we parted I gave I gave them the business yeah. completely, and I started again as Checker Trade. Nice. Okay. Uh, they didn't. They didn't take. They didn't take the trade register forward in any way. No. Did that just get bimmed off? Then did it? Well, in the end, I I went back to them after about six months, saying, "Look, I've spoken to some of the trades that you've got, and you haven't contacted them, and um, and we came we came to an agreement that I bought it off them." Okay, nice, excellent, amazing, good yeah. stuff. So, Checker Trade was born. And what was. year was that then, Kevin? When Checker Trade really kicked off? When, when that it was probably well, that probably would have been about two thousand, maybe two thousand and one. Two thousand and one. It wasn't too far into the journey. Yeah, and and, and when you've got point, an idea, how important do you think it is? Um, when you because you were clearly passionate about it you believed in your model you knew that it was going to work and obviously now the proof's in the pudding because you've got it to work now there are a lot of naysayers out there and um, as entrepreneurs sometimes we can be blind ignorant with an idea because it's ours that we think it's going to work and it's got no hope of working and other times actually nobody else can see or share our vision but we know it can work um so um how how would you um, advise people to go about um, differentiating themselves between their two um, ideas of whether it's a blind ignorance or whether actually don't listen to the negatives and put your foot down and go for it. That is a that's one of the best questions I've ever had, Joseph. I've never had <laughs> that question before. I think it's a tough that's one a to really answer, I know. <laughs> What's going through my head is what I do today. If someone approaches me, Kev, will you invest in this company? I I tend to be led very much by my heart more than my head. Yeah. Um, and I think as entrepreneurs, we some of us have the ability to join dots up. Yeah. And other people can't. I'll see that dot, that dot, that dot, that dot. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And almost hey, I'm not a genius by any stretch of the imagination, but there's something within me that would just go, yeah, I can see that I'll be successful. Other people, go, well, how can you come to that? It's okay. It just uh, But now what I do is, because it's, it's more, more my heart that, that leads me, I'll, I'll, I'll go to trusted people I know. One yeah. of them is, is my old managing director at Checker Trade, Gavin. He's a superb guy. And I trust, trust him with my life. And I'll say, Gavin, have a look at this. Tell me what you think. And he'll come back. He'll say, oh, Kev, this, that, all the other. And he's more head than heart. Yeah. Um, and then if he gives it the thumbs up, I'd normally go to my accountant. Yeah. And I'll say, have a, have a look at this. What do you think? And my accountant, uh, Steve, is very entrepreneurial. He's not the average accountant. He's, he's he built businesses and sold them for lots of money. Nice. Um, so he's an entrepreneur as well, which is excellent. And he'll he'll generally he generally say to me, Kev, yeah, I think this has got legs, and what it certainly looks like yeah. it's going to work financially. So I'd, I'd I'd go to that. So to the answer to your question, I I I think if you if you've got some counsel around you, if you've got some people that that you can trust, mm. um, and don't go to your mate down the pub. Yeah. <laughs> If you if if you know someone that's success, I I I get a lot of people that will say, Kev, I've got this idea. Will you have a look at it? I'm not asking for any money, just have a look. And do you know what? I, I think, yeah, I will. You know, I I don't yeah. mind 20 minutes of my and the amount of people that have come 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 to this room I'm in and sat down and show stuff. And I've you know what? I think that's I'm not interested in this year. It's gonna go somewhere. And the amount of people that I've said, no, I think I think you're really wasting your time. I, I think there's too there's, there's 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 not enough cash in that particular industry, and there's too much competition. Yeah. You know, you have this problem or this problem. So you, if you, if you can, and I don't want my phone melting down now. If you can find <laughs> someone, find someone that's 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 done the walk. 
Yeah. And Amazing. So great answer. So get some counsel. Um, speak to your legal team. Speak to your advisors. Speak to your accountant. Yeah. Speak to your mentors. Um, and it's important to have those people in place. You know, I'm forever saying to um, our clients, listen, you've got to have um, professionals and people that you um, trust um, to be able to go to. Business is a lonely place. And, you know, going to Dave down the pub or going to your husband or your wife um can sometimes um, be the wrong move. And in most cases, I believe it is the wrong move. You know, people are emotional about those decisions because they're close to you, whereas external yeah. people aren't emotional. So they give you their answer. That's a professional answer rather than, oh, well, you know, Kev, if you um, do that business idea, I'm not going to see you for, you know, the next year and a half and you're going to be working late. So now nah, don't do it. It's a bad idea. They're actually influencing you based on what they want, not on what's the right thing to say. Would you agree with that absolutely yeah you've got to have someone who's not emotionally involved yeah. and someone that's, that's walked walked the walk already for sure yeah 100%. yeah and what you've also one of the things i've also learned is you've got to be very i'm, I'm not telling people to lose their friends or, or to disassociate themselves with their friends but there's a saying birds of a flock feather flock together uh, the next verse is, and they all fly to the same destination. Nice. You've got to ask yourself seriously, who am I mixing with on a consistent basis? Yeah. Who am I flying with? And where are all these people going? And if you could just, if you could just put yourself and try and find one more associate, one more friend, one more person that you can talk to that's on a different level to where you are yeah they can just pull you up a little bit yeah <laughs> that's, that's what you need in life you need that you need that spark of inspiration you need you need that one person to inspire you to think man if he can do it i can do it yeah that's, that's completely what you agree need. i don't know about you but you know when i was um when i started my business um i was 22 and where i grew up um in our town everybody became tradesmen um, that's just what we did. We didn't go to university. We went to tradesmen. Some people did, but not my friends. We all became tradesmen. And um, birds of a feather flock together. Yeah, birds of a feather flock together. And when I started my business, I started to see the opportunities. I started to be around business people. I started to meet more successful people. Started to get around wealthier people. And I wanted to level up. I started to live better. I started to dress better. Um, I was able to afford things that my friends weren't able to afford at the time. Um, and yeah. Um, I, uh, in some cases, um, got quite a negative response um, from the people around me. You know, I lost a lot of friends as I became more successful um, because they suddenly felt that, you know, I was um, a new guy. I was the same guy. I was just doing better for myself. And did you ever experience the same thing? A little bit. Yeah. It's yeah. not you that's changed, though. Yeah, I don't think I'm sure I've changed a little bit. We all change as we get older, obviously. But I don't I don't think my success has changed me as an individual. But I think other people's perception of me has changed. Yeah. Whereas whereas before I'd, I'd, I'd go into a room and I was just Kev. Now I go into a room and 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 people are probably thinking, oh, there's Kev. He's a multimillionaire. Hey, ho. I mean, I, I, I can remember one scenario many, many, many years ago when I was really struggling as a young man. There was a guy that came to visit our church and uh, everyone sort of knew he was really wealthy. And, and it was like pinched on this person and, and it just felt awkward and, and silly and uncomfortable. Yeah. And, and I just think now that's maybe people, maybe people's perception is the same as same as that on me now. Yeah. I hope it's not because yeah. I'm literally I'm literally just Kev. Yeah. Yeah. And I think yeah. you're right. Yeah. It isn't you that changes, but people have this other perception of you. And I think sometimes people are a little bit worried about that. And the whole birds of a feather flock together statement, show me your friends and I'll show you your future, um, you yeah. know, and all of that type of stuff evolving through that process is quite a difficult 
um, experience to go through. You know, it's almost like sometimes in some cases you feel like you're leaving people behind and, um, you know, you start to not commit to the same amount of time to people that you used to. So they wonder why you don't want to spend time with them anymore. But, you know, I just, the reason I'm making a point of it is because, you know, again, this is for this podcast is for tradespeople. We're here to help um, trades businesses to level up and people to grow and to stop becoming tradesmen and become businessmen. That's what we're teaching them to do. And when that yeah. happens, you, they do have or will have a lot of people around them that are like, why are you changing? Why do you want to do that? Why are you trying to um, be this? Stop trying to be more than just who you are. People used to say to me, Joseph, you're just a plumber. Stop trying to, you know, be any more than that. You know, who do you think you are now? Um, and I want to just let people know that it's okay to do that and to be really successful. That's what you've got to do and get rid of any of those negative naysayers in your life right 100 you know one of the guys that inspired me the most was my first business partner yeah he was a successful marketing consultant and he had a whacking great big house inside the a the m25 at kink uh, kingston upon thames and he really really inspired me sadly that that relationship didn't last but he inspired me for sure and, and having someone that can inspire you and if, if i have any regrets i i i i just think if i'd have come alongside someone earlier mm. who could have just said kev don't do that or kev don't do or just change this bit of what you're doing yeah um but i i didn't i yeah. i i basically didn't have anyone it was just me yeah and, um, you know, such a great point there. And again, for the listeners, it's we, 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 we push in Trade Mastermind here is get a coach, get a mentor, um, have people that have been there and done it. You need guidance and advice. You know, for me, um, there's two ways to learn. You either learn and you make the mistakes and you do it the hard way, which, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. And I quite like that. But also at the same time, you know, I've made so many mistakes in business. Again, if I could learn from somebody, which I believe is the second way to do it by acquiring their knowledge, which almost gives you a fast track cheat code hack to the system version where you learn from their mistakes you save so much time so much money so much negative worry and stress and emotion so you know don't have to wear the badge of honor that you've done it by yourself actually leverage other people's mistakes and experience and learn from them absolutely one of the things that i i, I learned in growing my business uh, was from my team my top team around me, I, I, I had this very, very strange warped impression that no one could do anything as well as I could within this business. Yeah. Uh, and, and then I, I, I can remember very, very vividly, we were applying for some uh, award or something. I can't remember what it was. I think it was a Queen's Award, actually. And there was parts of this within the HR questions I just did not have the time to do. So I, 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 I reluctantly went to my HR manager and I said, look, can you answer all these questions for me? Yeah, okay, of course I can. Oh, man, five times better than I could ever do yeah. <laughs> when I read it. And that, that was a big wake-up call for me. And from that point on, all my decisions, I'd, 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 I'd have it in my head, the direction that a department should go in. Yeah, but I, I would not go into into any of my departments and go, right, guys, I've made a decision. This is where we're going. Here's the rule book. Bang. Get on with it. I wouldn't do that. Yeah, I'd, I'd go in there and I'd, I'd say, guys, I haven't been in this department now for three years, four years. I'm sure you're itching to see improvements. You're itching to, to scrap some of the things which are no good. Could could you all take take four hours out over the next week and put a plan together for me to have a look at next week? yeah what i would do and they'd go oh great oh we get rid of this we'll introduce this we won't how, do that how anymore. long did you steer that direction until you were comfortable to say to the department right i now trusting you to run the vision because one thing i um struggle with is um if as we're growing this company as we're establishing departments we've got about 25 people so we've got a marketing department a sales department finance department um customer services uh recruitment as we are building it um, I be, like sometimes if I let go and I leave that department to do their own thing, I can come back in a period of time and they've gone completely the wrong way, wasted time, money and resources. So I try to 
and micromanage that department and steer it where it needs to go. But it's knowing when the time is to just kind of leave it to those people and trusting them enough. So, but also kind of guide them on the right way. So how do you deal with that? Or how did you that's approach a really, that? That's a really good question. Um, I found that on the majority of cases, when I asked my team to look at the processes and what they were doing and present it to me, I would probably say six or seven times out of 10, it was better than what I had in my head. Yeah. On the few occasions, uh, I, I had a few occasions where I'd go, because I knew the business, that's fantastic, but it, it won't work with complaints. Yeah, yeah. Two elements of what your suggestion won't, it just doesn't dovetail into, into that department. Why don't you go and have a word with John in complaints? Um, yeah. And, uh, or Jane in complaints, it was. Go and have a word with Jane in complaints. Yeah. <laughs> Good and Jane. Uh, have a discussion with her, because I'm not sure if that would dovetail into that. And they go, oh, okay, Kev. Yeah. So I think if you want real commitment, they have to own it. Yeah. And if they, and it, the only way they can own it is if they've had significant influence to bring that into, into place. Yeah. And if you just, if you just go in and say, bang, that's what we're doing from now on. There's no ownership. You'll go in there and, and in sales, you'll go, oh, what's that number on the wall there? Oh, that's Kev's target. In my team, if someone went, oh, that's on the wall. oh, that's our target. That's my target. That's that's what we've set. And that's what we're yeah. going to achieve. Nice. Great and advice, it, it Kevin. Thank you very much for that. Really great, different. great stuff. Okay, cool. So, right, let's fast forward because I know we've covered quite a lot on the podcast and I've got quite a bit that I want to get through with you. So let's fast forward to the point where Checker Trade's established. You've got how many members to the, at its peak? When I, when I sold it, there was 20,000. 28,000 when I sold. Sorry, Kevin, just say that again, champ. We lost your signal-wise. Uh, sorry. Uh, when I sold, we had around 28,000, 29,000. 28, 29,000 members paying you monthly. Absolutely incredible. And so um, you kind of um, answered my, oh, well, you, you've given some insight into my next question there. You came to a point where you decided to sell the business and you sold it to the very well-known brand of HomeServe. How did that come about? Uh, well, some of that is quite personal. It's not yep. a secret. I don't mind talking about it, but my my brother, Tony, is 10 years older than me. Yeah. And my, my business, partner uh, was eight or nine years older yeah and although they never although they never put any pressure on me whenever we did meet up uh you know once or twice a year together it was always um, it, it was always mentioned when are we going to sell this kev because we're yeah. older than you and we want to we want to realize some something and that i i allowed hey, i want to be very clear they didn't put the pressure on me i put the pressure on myself yeah for me yeah. then it was like, oh I, I, I need to i need to find a buyer i need to sell this uh for these other two guys you know i'm, I'm i think of others more than i think of myself sometimes yeah um so we were so that's what uh, drove we your decision to sell yes it was yeah. yeah yeah it took a few years and we said no to quite a few companies um and did you put a broker out found... there selling it for you or did you approach people yourselves how did it go down yeah um we were approached initially by uh, which the consumer group, yeah, uh, and that all fell through. But because it fell through, uh, you know, my brother was was pretty disappointed. Uh, Richard wasn't. R Richard was all right about it, but my brother was really disappointed because he could have walked away with a lot of money. Yeah. Uh, but from that point on, I felt, oh, do you know, what? I'm going to have to find another buyer. Yeah. So uh, I found a phenomenal guy in Hove called Rupert Rawcliffe, uh, and he'd been deal maker of the year, something like five times in six or seven years. And nice. he, he's, he's turned into a very, very good friend. His, his wife and, and my wife, you know, we all get on like a house on fire. Um, and, and he was phenomenal. He helped me uh, go through about another four or five suitors. Yeah. We put, we put together a, uh, uh, a deck which people could look at a sales deck and uh we said no to quite a few hef hefty players 
Yeah. And what I, was the reason re- for saying no? They're not enough money offered? Weren't happy Some, where they wanted to take no, the business? Every, every offer I got was another 10 million. <laughs> just yeah. kept going up. And, and I just kept saying, the reason why I said no to, to virtually all of them was related to, will you look after my team? Yeah. Will you stay in Chelsea? That, those were the number one things that I yeah. wanted answered. Yeah. And, and oh, we thought we found we thought we found the right company in America, uh, a huge yeah. brand that, yeah. that owns buttons. And and after nine months of due diligence, the final box needed to be ticked, which was was how are you going to look after my team? Yeah, and, and they wouldn't put anything in writing. Okay, nice. So well, uh, I love that. That just shows your character, Kevin, which is um uh is which is really nice to hear that you know. Um, even though you knew that you could keep getting more money, you had a um, uh, a passion behind wanting to look after the people that had helped you create the business to the level that it needed, that it got to. So, you know, that's absolutely phenomenal um, and um, great, great for people to hear. So um, that's a testament to you. Now, um, can I ask this? Because I've always been intrigued um, for people that sell businesses for many millions. Um, how do you hold your, are you in just such an area of confidence when you turn down like the the first one, two, three, four decisions? Because let's say, for example, the first decision was like 5 million, right? Obviously, you knew it was worth more than that. The next one comes in, it's 10. The next one comes in, it's 20. Like, do you suddenly get into this um, sense of confidence that these bids are just going to keep going up? I'm not selling. Like, How do you stop yourself from going, wow, what? I can walk away with 30 million. Let me grab that number. Or And, and do you know what I mean? When um, do you make that decision and say, well, actually, I've hit the cap now. It's not going to make any more. I better sell it this time. Well, when we had the offer from the American company, I really liked them. Yeah. And the guy that was representing the European branch of, of that particular brand, uh, he's still a friend of mine. I meet up with him every now and again and have a, have a, a meal with him. He's an American right. guy. Um, but they simply hid behind lawyers and said we can't put it into writing kev yeah I, we can tell verbally we'll look after your team but we can't put it in writing yeah and i said well i'm very sorry you knew that was the number one aspect right at the beginning i just wish we'd have crossed this path months yeah. ago and going through due diligence for for that amount of time and that amount of in-depth um penetration it f- absolutely frazzled uh, uh, my top team, yeah. they were frazzled. The company prior was growing at 40% a year. And that year it, it dipped down to 25% simply yeah. because the huge amount of effort that was going into the due diligence. Yeah. And everybody's focus was taken off growth yeah. and, it, and it was put on sale. Yeah. Um, but at the end of that, it fell through. And I said to Rupert, you know Rupert that's it the guy that was helping me sell I said that's it I'm finished with I'm just gonna I'm not gonna sell the company um I'll try and pull something together that that would get some money for for the other shareholder yeah but but basically I've had enough of this I'm not gonna sell now I'm just gonna concentrate on growth yeah and then right right out the blue I get a call from HomeServe and I phoned I remember I phoned up Rupert and I said, Rupert, I've had this call and I, I don't know what to do. It's just another diversion and it's just another, such a huge strain. And I turned down a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> Euro, mil- Euro millions money. Yeah. Uh, and that was incredibly stressful. Incredibly stressful. Was I it over remember saying to mil? My, uh, that particular offer to? wasn't. Yeah, it's getting... Yeah, yeah, it's 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 a lot of money. Nice. <laughs> um, and I can remember saying to my wife, I I don't physically know how I'm alive. Yeah. The, the the feeling in here and the stress and the pressure is so intense constantly. I I I shouldn't be alive. I shouldn't be alive, Lisa. I shouldn't. I remember that conversation Blimey. really clearly. Yeah. Anyway, we you know. And then Rupert said to me, Kev. What are the four big things you want? Yeah. So I told him what the four ones were. He said, I'll go back. I'll go to home serve. I'll have a chat with them and see what they say. 
Yeah. And I think the four ones was a price. The deal had to be done in less than a month. Yeah. Um, you have to do a contract which says you're going to stay in Celsius for five years to look after my team. And there was one other thing. I can't remember what it was. Yeah. And Rupert phoned me back up and he says, Kev, you've got a, a yes, 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 and a yes. <laughs> Brilliant. And the deal was done in a month. Fantastic. Because all the due diligence was already in the Dropbox. It was already, it was already done. All yeah, had to okay, do. great. So actually a lot of that work that was done sped up a couple of the other deals and you could use that same process to say to the other people, look, you know, we want it. Were they a really I, motivated buyer then, Home Serve? Were they desperate to get their hands on it? From what they, were, they, were, they were pretty desperate, yeah. Yeah, incredible. Yeah. And it goes to show, like, you know, when your business is at the right time to sell and somebody else has got ambitions to grow into certain markets, when the yeah. two marry, it can make um, sweet romance. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there was a lot, there was a lot of hassle around HomeServe buying the company. Yeah. A lot of the, a lot of the tradesmen thought that they, HomeServe were buying checker trade to skim off all the certain jobs that HomeServe yeah. could have done. Yeah. Never happened. Okay. never happened. It was never their intention to do that. And in that aspect, they were very honorable and they didn't do that. What did they do? Buy it for the network of installers of, of engineers, you reckon? What was their main driver? I think, I think the owner, uh, or the guy that founded it, he always had a vision to have to take to take the the plumbing and the gas industry and cover all all the different elements yeah. of, of of work. Yeah, and he he wanted to take that and and see it grow and groom it and make it better. That yeah, that, that amazing. Was, that was you. yeah. Incredible, good stuff. Okay, Kevin, cool. Well, so we're nearly at the end of the podcast. So um, I just want to um, uh, thank you for being on. And, but I want to ask a couple of questions now. Um, so for the tradespeople. So we've had a couple that have come through. Um, and um, the first one is, what's the one thing you wish you knew before starting out in business? Okay, that's pretty, that's pretty easy. One of the biggest lessons that I, I learned uh was expectation yeah and i wish i knew about expectation before before i i started my company or certainly earlier on um expectation is a massive driving force in people's lives yeah if you if you if you're expecting recession what do you do you you batten down the hatches and you cut back and you do this and you do the other if you're expecting phenomenal growth what do you do you look at how 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 can I maintain this growth? How can I how can <coughs> I get staff involved? How can I motivate people? How can I make my systems more more efficient and streamlined? Uh, and and basically, you move towards the biggest expectation. What whatever the biggest thing in your life is, that's what you move towards. Yeah. And if if you really really believe and expect your company to be twice the size in three years time. If you really, really believe that is, is going to happen and is expectation, all your your actions and your behaviors flow to make it happen. Yeah. The thing is, most people haven't got big expectations. Mm -hmm. If I say to the average plumber out there, where do you expect your company to be in five years? I wonder what their answer would be. You'd, you'd have a better idea than that than I would. But I bet yeah. it's not, I'm, I'm going to be a national brand. A lot that of guys are literally only thinking, have I got work for next week? Um, and they're yeah. living their business life by how busy their schedule is for the next week or the next month and making sure they're booked up. And that's kind of, um, you know, down to the fact they don't have a marketing strategy. They don't have consistent leads coming in. So they can't forecast growth because they can't predict sales. Um, so they can't scale up. And um, as soon as I went from thinking, I'm a local, regional, business yeah. to i i want to be and i'm expecting to be national yeah well if i'm going to be national what do i have to do i've got to be on tv yeah 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 and and there's plumbers out there if pimlico plumbers can do it why can't you yeah exactly yeah just, it, costs just, no, it costs nothing to dream big right all you gotta well, do is dream big you gotta dream big and you've got to start you've got to start telling yourself you can be big yeah and, and, it, and it's not until you start believing it that your actions will flow to make it happen completely if you don't agree believe, with that if you don't believe it it ain't gonna happen 
So what do you think it takes um, to, um, or, or is there a formula for being a successful um, entrepreneur or business owner that you work towards? Wow, off, off the cuff, I, I've never written about anything or spoke about anything like that, but I, I, I would say your business is only going to be as big as you think. Yeah, nice. You have, to, nice. you have to understand that your team is more important than your product. Yeah. People go, what? <laughs> How can your team be more important than your product? Absolutely. I'll give you a quick illustration. You've got a phenomenal team and a really poor product. Yeah. What's going to happen to this product over a period of time? It's going to get better and better yeah. and better because your team are motivated. They love working for you. They feel appreciated. They're understood. They're, they're, they're given uh, responsibilities and they're trusted. Mm -hmm. now, now, take, now take a great product, but the team have got a new manager and their team are being stripped of all their, of all their integrity and they don't want to come to work anymore for all these various things that this new guy's brought into place. What's going to happen to that product over a period of time? It's going to, yeah. Number one, number one thing is your team. And that is a, that is a phenomenal thing. You have to understand. Yeah. You can't, you can't build something exceptional and take it to market and influence the country or the world on your own. You can't, you've got to have people with you. And if you yeah. haven't, you'll not, you'll not succeed in any amazing advice. So that, and, you know, we work with a lot of very small businesses and notoriously in construction. Um, I think about eight, I think about 85% um, of the businesses are below the VAT threshold um, as construction business owners in the UK. So that means that they're operating um, um, to a small level and, you know, people want to grow, but they're very afraid to hire. You know, people are scared to hire people um, and they say, well, I've never hired anybody. I just, you know, I've I've always done the work. I don't know. Where, I don't trust engineers. I'm worried about my reputation. Don't know how much to pay. And so, you know, what you've just said there is nailed on that, you know, you aren't going to go alone. You know, if you want to go fast and not very far, go by yourself. If you want to go far, you've got to go together. You've got to have that team. Absolutely. 100%. <laughs> amazing excellent love that kevin all right kevin so finally i just want to end what's one bit of advice um you would give to trade business owners um to take their company to the next level you have to change if you keep doing the same old thing month in year in nothing nothing's really going to change you might you might you might have a a direction you want to go and you'll bounce off that wall and you'll bounce off that wall and you might eventually get to some element of where you want to go but but if you're really focused if you th if you can really identify that's what i want mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. how am i going to get okay i need the right help i need the right advice i need the right motivation mm -hmm. and that's the way to do it you've got to be focused and Amazing. if if you're just on the tools consistently you, you might you might end up with a nice lifestyle uh, but you're never really going to influence the world or do anything dramatic in your life. You've got to have you've got to have that focus, and that focus comes from being being alongside the right people and getting the right advice. Amazing! You've got to get off the tools, guys. You've heard it from Kevin himself. Kevin, you've been an absolute gentleman. Thank you so much for sharing your time, your knowledge, your wisdom, um, and your advice. I'm sure everybody's going to absolutely love this podcast. Um, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much, Kevin, and take care. My pleasure. Thanks very much, Joseph. Cheers, Kevin. Head over to www.trademastermind.co.uk to find out more or follow us on social media at Trade Mastermind or at Mr. Joseph Valente.